You're listening to United and Resilient, a podcast designed to help heal and support the El Paso community. Hello, I'm your host, Mariana Sierra, Outreach Coordinator for the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center, a program of United Way of El Paso County. We are dedicated to serve those who were impacted directly or indirectly by August 3rd. Join us on the journey to long-term recovery as we have honest conversations with local leaders, mental health specialists, and fellow El Pasoans who share their stories and expertise. We feature topics that influence and impact the vitality and resilience of our community. We are El Paso United, and together we heal. Juntos sanamos. Dear listener, before we begin, a note of warning. The topic we're about to explore contains a mention of the mass casualty event and a description of the events that unfolded thereafter. This episode may not be suitable for everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to United and Resilient. As we come close to our one-year mark of August 3rd, we would like to provide education and tools that can benefit our community. In this episode, we will discuss children's mental health. We will talk with a licensed professional counselor that serves as a therapist at El Paso Child Guidance Center. In our conversation, we will talk about how can we recognize the importance of children's mental health and how can we address this topic with our kids. We will also discuss how can we digest daily news and how can we incorporate daily coping activities for our children. Joining me today, we have Abril Padrón. Thank you, Mariana, um, and thank you for inviting me to be a part of this podcast. Uh, my name is Abril Padrón. I'm a therapist at the Child Guidance Center. I was born and raised here in El Paso. I left for a few years to go to school, came back, and I'm very proud to be serving communities here locally in El Paso. Thank you so much, Abril, and we're really happy to have you here. So um, we did have a previous conversation, and we spoke about a lot of interesting um, topics that I really want to share with our public right now. So my first question for you would be, what is your definition of mental health? When it comes to mental health in general, um, I, I guess the way that I perceive it is making sure that our uh, functioning in general when it comes to our emotional health, psychological health um, is doing well. So, of course, that impacts different areas in our lives. So uh, it relates to our relationships with other people, with our family, friends, um, the different places that we work in or are involved in, whether it be schools or workplaces. Um, so when we think about mental health, we think about like the comprehensive um, uh, definition, I guess, of it. So it's, it's um, how all these things interrelate to um, define how we do uh, like psychologically, emotionally in our lives. Thank you. And for this episode, we thought it was really important to also address youth mental health. And um, my, my next question for you, everybody, would be, why is it so important for parents to get educated on youth mental health? I think that when it comes to seeing how things progress in our society um, in general, things that uh, people experience day to day, especially with things that are going on right now, 
Um, it's important when you think about children, how they're being influenced and impacted right, by things that happen, um, of course, generally when it comes to school or their friends. But then aside from that, on, on top of it, things that are happening, happening in general with our society and other struggles that may not have been present before that are now, of course, becoming more obvious, um, especially with what happened in El Paso last August um, and other things that continue to occur in our society. And I think, um, you know, I think for parents to realize that if they are feeling a certain type of way because we're hitting, we're hitting the one-year mark, maybe their children are feeling that way too. So um, just the fact that we don't have to dismiss um, the, the children's feelings, right? We need to address those feelings because they're equally as important. In the conversation we were having previously with Celeste from Emergence Health Network, she we did talk about how um, mental health is equally as important as physical health. So if you take your child to... Um, get a physical uh, once a year, right? Why wouldn't you take your child to see a therapist? Your physical health is equally as important. Um, but now I wonder, and I, I asked you this before, and I think it's so important, what is a good age um, to talk about mental health with your child? How can you address um, these topics with your, with your child? I think what you described just now um, summarizes it perfectly, right? When we educate our children in mental health in general and what it means to be healthy um, psychologically and emotionally as well, that's a perfect uh, example that we can give um, because children go to doctor's appointment for vaccinations. They go to doctor's appointment for physicals. They, they're familiar with what that means. And so when we draw that comparison to also taking care about our feelings and whenever we have uh, an experience that we struggle with, um, addressing it in the same way. Now we're struggling with these other things that maybe a doctor can't fix, but we go to a counselor, we go to somewhere else, uh, someone else to get that support um, that we might be needing in the moment. So I think going back to your original question, I think that when it comes to mental health, I, I don't think it's uh, ever too early to address it because the sooner that we talk about it, we normalize it for them. We start making it seem like it's, it's appropriate and okay for us to seek help when we need it. And that's I, that's what I love about your answer. Um, the the sooner we address this issue, the more we normalize it, right? Because, um, like I I we always at the FRC would like to use that example of that movie from Pixar Inside Out, how they explain the feelings to children. So I can imagine a three year old or a four year old watching that movie and being. Oh, I feel that way. I if you tell them, oh, this is anger and this is why you feel this way, they they normalize it, right? This is normal and this is okay. Like other children feel this way too. So I really love your answer to how we can start normalizing um, these issues from a very, very young age. Um, now, how can a, if if a parent is noticing say, some type of changes in their children, how can they start the conversation with their child? When it comes to parents who are observing their children, kind of going through the day-to-day -day lives, um, I think it's first important to address like what things to look for, right? So um, as they um, are navigating kind of what we're used to, for parents, I think the first sign that something is going on is when he kind of changes, right? When we, we're used to our kids' routines day in and day out, but when we start to see that um, things are happening a little bit different now or they're reacting differently, 
having maybe um, difficulties that they weren't having before for one reason or another. Um, that should be like the first indicator, right, for us that something's going on. Um, of course, depending on the age, uh, it will change and vary how we address it. Um, but I think that when it comes to even just bringing up the subject, if they're already used to having conversations and if we already know that there is a line of communication open between parents and kids, it just makes it that much more easy So uh, to address it. So when it comes to um, conversations, it's so much more useful to already engage with our kids and talk about how, the, how they're going with school or during meal times, finding opportunities in our day to increase our conversations with them because um, that's how we provide just more opportunities for them to share stuff if there's something going on. Um, so uh, I think it, as long as we leave the door open, we um, hopefully provide sufficient opportunities for our kids to reach out if they need something or even in just providing support as they do different things, we help them in more ways than we know. What you're mentioning reminds me of of something that happened with one of my aunts. Um, I remember my little cousin Diego was when he was little. He was really little. I think he was three or four years old, and he got this. Um, I don't know. He was very, very angry for some reason. I don't know. You know how kids are. They are playing for at one point and then they get mad and then they stop playing. So he was really mad. Right. And I remember that um, my aunt just grabbed Diego and she was like, you know what? Right now you're angry. What you're feeling is frustration because you're angry and that's okay. And I just I, I, I was also younger. I think I was like 18 or something like that. And I was just like, wait, this is weird because when I was a child, like if I would behave a certain way, my mom would tell me, go to your room or, you know, tell me that that was wrong. That, And now like I see moms approaching it a different type of way, you know, and I was like, wow, this is so great. Like just the fact that you simplified whatever the kid was feeling at that moment. I don't know. I, I, I really love that moment with my aunt and my little cousin Diego. Um, so yeah, like you're saying, like just at, uh, just opening the door for them. And I remember my aunt saying to him, like, whenever you're feeling like this, you come to me and you tell me what you're feeling. And we can take a break for a little bit from playtime and we can go together somewhere. And, and that's what my aunt does. And I really, really admire that. And I love that. Now, Abril, how can we incorporate like activities for children to, um, address mental health, you know, like, I know there's a lot of drawing and play therapy and stuff like that. So what are some activities that we can incorporate at home, especially right now that children at our home constantly? I think that to some degree, you already answered that question, because I think what you described is uh, a beautiful example, right? Uh, when it comes to uh, introducing mental health for children, um, that's too complex of an idea. And so we break it down by really just trying to help them, first of all, with the basics. And so one of those things what you mentioned of helping children know what it means to feel different feelings. And so increasing their vocabulary in a lot of ways, right? So as they experience different things in their lives, they're able to really pinpoint what that is that's happening inside of them. So um, usually it's, it, it's a jumbled mess that happens inside of our minds when we experience things, we have a hard time um, piecing it out so we know what's happening, especially for children who sometimes lack an understanding of what's going on. And so I think even thinking about very general activities um, that relate to identifying feelings, like having even 
um, those uh, games that we have, like even like emoji games where it's like, okay, let's guess what that looks like or what feeling do you think this emoji might be experiencing and what face what someone who is very frustrated makes so they can make those associations of, um, okay, when this happens to me and the, when my body reacts this way, it means this, right? And so um, I think it's, it's something very simple but very useful because as kids grow older and they develop that ability to be able to understand and make the connection between when I feel something, this is what it means, this is what it looks like in my body. Sometimes like my hands sweat a lot, sometimes my heart races, or sometimes I'm very excited and um, I just feel very thrilled, whatever that might look like. Um, it's much easier for them to not only understand what's going on with them internally, but then also to be able to express it to people that support them, whether it be um, siblings, parents, teachers, um, so that they can just more easily process what's going on with them. And so um, I think that when it comes to incorporating games and mental health, it doesn't have to be anything too complex because um, when it comes to children, they'll express how they feel and things that are th that they're thinking about in very simple terms. It might happen in drawings or in play, um, the way that they pretend to play or do different roles. It happens in all those ways. Um, it's, of course, expressed in very creative outlets, right? Very artistic ways, but that's how processing happens for children. I think when, when kids are younger, it can either be really hard to approach them because they don't have enough vocabulary but at the same time, I think it's easier in a way, but you're the expert, so you tell me. But I think it's a little um, harder when we have older kids, such as teenager, teenagers at home. And I know it's something that we talked about last time. How do you approach these topics with teenagers when, you know, a teenager at that age, they just they're in their rooms and they're in with their friends and it's normal, right? But what happens... Um, when a parent is noticing changes in, in their in their children when they're going through adolescence. Um, I, I think that I agree 100% with what you said, right? Because when it comes to seeing children develop into adolescence and what that looks like, uh, we're used to having children uh, who are much younger be very attached to their parents. And then as they start to get older, they slowly become more distant and then they become much more attached with their friends. And so it's very common to see adolescents as they start to enter high school and throughout those years to really get more distance from their parents because um, it's really a period where they're trying to figure out who they are, what their identity is. And that just by nature will mean that they're going to spend more time with different people to really solidify that. So when it comes to issues of mental health, it sometimes can be more difficult to have conversations, um, mostly because of that distance. We, sometimes we um, don't communicate that much with adolescents, uh, especially even though they might be in our homes more often where we know everyone's together, but we're not really interacting. We're not really spending time together because they might be on their phones. They always find things to do. So when it comes to even just breaching any kind of subject, I think it's really important to, like at a very basic level, just converse, like, provide opportunities to talk about things, even if it's very superficial things, things that they might like, trying to find things in common, like very basic things, because if we're able to talk about those very simple things, it's going to make it so much more easier um, to address other things, to address concerns, to um, open the door for things if there's anything going on with them. Um, 
if we know that maybe teenagers are close to someone in the family, if they have like the older cousin or an older sibling or maybe um, the uh, aunt or an uncle, grandparent that they're very close to, I think that's definitely a source of support that we know that they'll be able to reach out to and even giving that person a heads up, you know what, something's going on, something's off. Um, so that whenever they interact and they engage, they can look out for those things, right? Because um, it's very important to have those reliable sources of support around us so that if maybe a parent isn't the person with whom teenagers feel comfortable talking with, they have someone else. So um, I think that's super important that they just know that that support is there in case they need it. And for parents to realize to not take it personal, right? Um, because I know some parents can be like, no, I want to know everything and I want my child to to see me as a person that they can come to. But um, in reality, it's just for that teenager uh, to have someone that they can trust and they can go for education, advice, guidance. Um, but you know, we at the FRC, we do get um, participants who are usually moms. Um, and because they're seeking therapy and uh, or non-traditional therapies, they want their children to also benefit from whatever um, they are benefited from. So um, we, we always talk to those moms and those moms tell us, how can I, you know, like encourage my, my child to come with me without being too overwhelming or too controlling or too in their face? <laughs> um, how can they approach those things when maybe, I mean, the child is older and they have opinions of their own now and they just don't want to or they're not ready for it? That's a great question because when it comes to um, counseling or therapy in general, uh, we also have to acknowledge that there's sometimes a stigma of it, right? If we um, didn't have these conversations early on with our kids and trying to um, and make it normal to seek out um, mental health services when we need them, um, of course, we're going to develop our own ideas, right? We watch TV, we watch TV shows, uh, movies where we see what maybe therapy looks like. Um, but generally, sometimes we just don't know what that's going to look like, right? When someone goes for services, um, whether it be for any group services or individual, whatever that might be. And so when we think about maybe teenagers who we want to incorporate, we know that there are so many things that could be useful for them as far as um, resources or information or even very basic um, like psychoeducational material that's out there. I think it's very important to address maybe like some concerns or some thoughts that they might have already about therapy and what it looks like or what they expect might happen. So we can clarify those, right? They might have um, an idea, but it might not be the correct one. And so I think that's where parents can also just provide that education if they already have some experience with it so they can share that. Um, and also leaving the door open, right? Of course, we um, almost like want them to be as involved maybe as parents are, but when it comes to them, also acknowledging that they have a choice. It's like, we want to share this with you. We'll give it a shot. If it doesn't work, maybe at a later time. Because I think that it also um, is very important to give them a voice. They, they, as children get older and move over to adolescence, um, we want to educate them so they start to make their own decisions and know what that looks like. But also hopefully getting the services that we know they might benefit from at some point. 
So now, Abril, now that we're hitting the one-year mark, um, we're getting closer to August 3rd, we do understand that there were a lot of children who were also impacted um, by this uh, directly or indirectly. So if a child was impacted by a traumatic event, how can parents address this with their child? And how, what are the signs that they can be on the lookout as we get closer to this date? Absolutely. I think that seeing our children and their reactions, kind of what's normal, what's not normal, um, we get a sense, right? First of all, we might see some differences in their behaviors, kind of what's happening. Um, but very generally, when children are impacted by any kind of event that might be traumatic for them, um, we look for things like maybe um, uh, they, if we're thinking about younger children, Maybe they have um, more difficulty falling asleep by themselves. Maybe they have more nightmares. Maybe we um, lose some of those basic toileting skills. So we might have some bedwetting um, where there might be uh, like very repetitive play. Sometimes themes of what might have happened start to come up in play, trying to maybe change the outcome because they have control of that play. Sometimes when it's younger kids as well, we lose speech. Um, so different behavioral issues like that that we might notice um there might be more difficulties with their concentration they have a harder time uh paying attention um they might be maybe more irritable right maybe smaller things that wouldn't normally bother them now they bother them um so i think generally we start to see just changes in general um whether they um, affect maybe like their sleep their appetite um, just general separating from maybe parents or caregivers who want to be maybe closer by. Um, I think all those things are things that we start to observe, right? When it comes to maybe older kids, all of the similar things, right? Maybe changes in patterns in what they're used to for their routines. Um, sometimes kids isolate themselves. They withdraw from other people. They want to be more alone. Of course, aside from knowing that some teenagers want to be more alone, seeking that independence. So I think there's a lot of different things that parents uh are observant to right and notice very quickly when we see them because we know that they're not normal or they haven't been uh, happening this way before. And so that's how parents just can keep an eye out, just noticing different things that might pop up. Um, when it comes to addressing these things, um, of course, being at the anniversary, um, if questions come up, I know that we're already like after the fact, but there might still be questions, right, that were left unanswered. Sometimes as parents, we feel scared of addressing such strong topics with kids because we don't want to maybe do more harm than good. Um, but kids are still aware of what's happening. They still know they hear it in the news. They hear it um, from people in school. So they are already getting this information from other sources. So when it comes to addressing those hard topics, it's always best for parents to just address it themselves because it's very important for parents to really get a sense of whether the information that their kids have is accurate, right? We can look for the gaps if maybe they knew some parts of it that are relevant for them to know. Um, we can like fill those in. Um, and of course, addressing it at an age appropriate level, right? We want to discuss these things um, to their level so they understand. Um, but I think that's the first thing. So making sure to address it so that the information comes from us that we know is correct and accurate. Um, I think for kids, sometimes since they express their thoughts and feelings in nonverbal ways, we want to provide them with 
um, all of, a lot of support, right? We want to keep them with their routines, making sure that those things are stable. The times that they wake up, go to bed at, times that they eat, that's super important for them to have that sense of consistency. Um, while maybe in our minds, we're working through other things. So providing opportunities for them to play, to um, draw, to engage, to other things, because that's really where all the processing happens for them. Um, and as we said before, with older kids, just providing opportunities, maybe clarifying um, things that might be unclear for them, maybe just being able to express what feelings come up for them um, in general about situations. So if they have a hard time identifying what those feelings are, maybe helping them out, as we discussed earlier, or just validating, right? Um, just being there to support them as they uh, like express or share with us what's going on with them. The thing is, what I'm getting from your answer is to don't avoid the subject. Sometimes um, I do see a lot of parents who just don't want to talk about the subject, but kids are really smart and they have um, social media in their hands, right? Because probably they have a tablet or even a cell phone, right? So it's best that they can talk to their parents about this and prefer not to avoid the subject. Now, um, I wonder what happens if a, if a parent is struggling. So if I'm a parent and um, I'm feeling a certain way and right now either I'm going through depression or it's just not a good time for me, um, how can you balance um, talking to your child while taking care of yourself? Absolutely. And I think that's um, a great point that you bring up because obviously thinking about what happened uh, last year didn't only affect the kids, it affected all the adults as well. Like everyone experienced this um, at a direct or indirect level and everyone's trying to figure out the best way that they can handle it. Um, and so I think even being open with that with our kids, right? It's like, this is new for all of us. We're trying to figure it out, but I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you in whatever way I can. Um, while we also deal with um, the impact that it had on us emotionally or maybe psychologically, right? Kind of has us maybe question things about um, general feelings of safety in our, in our society. Um, so I think that when we discuss about talking about it with kids, we first need to be aware of how we're feeling about it, that whenever we talk about it with our kids, that we're able to really, um, uh, to some degree, have some sort of um, self-control, right? Because um, we also don't want to break down in front of our kids or have maybe roles reversed where they take care of us. We want to be the ones to um, like know what's going on and do what we have to do to uh, to some degree, uh, implement our own coping skills and regulate our own emotions before we address that with our kids. Um, and maybe we're not the best person, right? If we are able to acknowledge that maybe it's not the best uh, time for us to discuss it with our kids, maybe hopefully there's another, another adult in the family um, that might be able to address it with them so that we are still taking care of ourselves and doing what we need to, but we're still making sure that our kids are being supported and attended to as they navigate any questions or things that might come up. And again, going back to that guilt, right? For parents to not feel guilty if they're feeling a certain way, um, that it's okay that children can look out for another trusting relationship that they might have with an uncle, with a grandma. Um, so for parents to not feel that guilt, that it's okay to not be okay. That's what we like to say at the FRC. Um, so now... Um, I mentioned this before with Celeste from Emergence Health Network. At the FRC, we are big fans of non-traditional therapies. Um, so what are some non-traditional therapies that um, 
kids get can get involved in. I think that when it comes to therapy, just in general terms, right, we're used to just talk therapy, just kind of talking about what's going on. Um, but as we said earlier, when it comes to children, they process information in different ways. And so when we try to uh, help kids process information or things that have happened, we a lot of times just use a lot of like artistic methods, right? And so it's a lot of just play therapy, um, whether it's directive or non-directive, just letting them um, like engage in whatever they feel is appropriate in an environment where they have that support, right? Um, and so that's how uh, play, of course, comes into play uh, when it comes to um, like drawing, using art. A lot of kids, they just use a lot of these skills because they're in school. It's very common for kids to do all these uh, activities. And so it's more natural, right? We have the supplies. Um, that's a very positive way of them to be able for them to be able to express maybe feelings by drawing, by really seeing what themes come up for them. Um, and of course, if, if we're talking about children who are going through therapy services, there's also like non-traditional maybe um, therapy interventions, right? Research supported, but still um, maybe different than just regular talk therapy to help kids process information. Um, so uh, we have uh, like EMDR, so using just stimulation of um, like bilateral stimulation. We have um, trauma-focused CBT. We have a lot of different things that are research-supported that are different than just regular talk therapy um, because we really have to figure out what works best for every child, um, adjusting whatever interventions um, we have to best fit the child and what they need in the moment. Even movement, right? Even sports, um, because we do understand that all these like body movements and it's a good segue to traditional therapy. So maybe a child is not ready for the traditional scenario of, of a therapy session or a counseling session, but maybe they're ready to um, express their feelings through music, through, like you said, art, through sports, through, through so many ways. Um, so... How can these non-traditional therapies improve the emotional status of uh, of a child? I think that when it comes to all the different uh, things that you mentioned right now, it's different ways that we teach children to be able to regulate their emotions, right? Not only just process and kind of just understand what's happening, but just to be able to calm themselves. We think about like meditations, right? We're used to like adults doing meditation, but there's also activities for children to meditate. Um, we think about like yoga, it's a form of exercise, but it's still um, one of those skills that we use that helps us in a lot of ways. When we use music, um, we really have to see all those different things that kids are engaged in, whether it be even like um, engagement in extracurricular activities. Those I think are all things that are very therapeutic in their own way and help us um, really regulate our emotions and feel a little bit even uh, more stable emotionally because those are the things that really help us navigate all the problems in our day-to-day -day lives. So the more that we expose our kids to all those activities, the better, right? Because we just give them that many more tools that they can put in their toolbox that they can pull out um, whenever it's necessary so they can handle whatever is um, going on in their lives. This is United and Resilient. We'll be right back. The lives of El Pasoans were forever changed by the August 3rd tragedy. As the one-year mark approaches, the El Paso United Family Resilience Center, the County of El Paso, 
the City of El Paso, and other partners. Aim to unite El Pasoans in order to honor those we lost and send love to those who were deeply impacted. With that in mind, together we carefully created a series of community-wide activities and commemorative events under the Together We Heal, Together We Remember banner. Among the activities that the community members can be part of, there are two main calls to action. At 8.30 p.m. on August 2nd and August 3rd, the public is invited to drive through a brightly lit Ascarate Park, which will be lined with luminarias intended to allow guests to remember and reflect together, but at a safe distance. The Luminaria pathway will also include the sounds and melodies of local musicians spread across the park. El Pasoans can continue to pay their respects by placing a luminaria on their porch or front door on the evening of August 3rd. The day of August 3rd, we also call El Pasoans to take a moment to act out a kind gesture to a friend, neighbor, or family member, to assert our position of being kind and a caring community. We have also included events that focus on mental health well-being including a virtual yoga session, a healing through art activity for our youth, and more. All of these opportunities, as well as other resources, can be found in our webpage. Please visit elpasounited.org slash love for El Paso. We hope you can join us in any of these healing activities, and please share with your family and friends. We are El Paso strong, and together we remember Together, we heal. Now that um, a lot of kids have so much information in their hands, and it's just a, a crazy ray, because when I was a kid, I, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, if I heard the news in the background, that's all I knew, right? Um, but now I see my my little cousins chatting with their friends, even on social media. And of course, they know what's going on. So how can you speak to your child about everything that they see in the news? And how can you help them digest the news? Especially right now. I mean, we've been managing everything with this pandemic for several months now. And it's still something that's popping up a lot on the news, right? Because we're it's ongoing. The first thing that I would tell you is when it comes to our kids being exposed to this, there's only so much we can do, but definitely limiting the uh, exposure that they have to what's going on. Um, and I, I say that because it's crucial for us to regulate the thing that they're exposed to and at what times. We know that if we leave the TV on, we're going to hear things all day. And it might be interesting. We might be uh, watching it here and there. It might be while people are distracted, but it's still information that Maybe we're not fully paying attention to, but it's still coming in, right? And it can become overwhelming very easily, especially with everything else that's happening, right? Politically, socially, everything else in general. So that would be the first thing. When it comes to older children, they have their cell phones. It's much harder to limit that exposure because they're going to be on social media outlets probably most of, most of their day. And so... We do as much as we can with parents and even having those conversations of hopefully um, maybe just checking in with the news or what's happening at very specific times. Maybe just only in the morning and that's it or in the afternoon so we can talk about it, um, but really limiting that. And so I think that's one of the first things. I also think that 
trying to get a sense of what their perceptions are. Um, with everything that's happening, we might assume that they're um, maybe handling things uh, very well or maybe not. So we're really just opening the conversation with them. You know what? This is happening. On, I heard this happen on the news. Did you hear about that? Leaving it open uh, and see what they tell you, right? What have you heard about this? Trying to gauge how much information they're aware of and maybe how that might be impacting them. Because that can definitely give us a sense of, okay, maybe we need to be addressing this with them. Maybe it's starting to get overwhelming with them, uh, overwhelming for them, I'm sorry, um, when it comes to everything that they might be exposed to. So when it comes to your second question, right, and, and digesting it, um, I think that sometimes it can be very easy to feel out of control of a situation because there's so many things in our society right now that we don't have control over. Uh, we are being asked to stay at home. We're being asked to wear a mask. We're being asked a lot of things that are different to us. So for children, that's different, right? Even for us adults. And so I think when we discuss these subjects, it's very important to try to highlight for us and our children the things that we do have control over. Okay, we're choosing to maybe stay at home because it's going to be safer. We're choosing to wear a mask because we know it's going to keep us safe. Or um, we're choosing to uh, maybe do different things in our routines that are going to uh, facilitate keeping what structure looks like for us. We're going to um, still wake up at this time or still eat at these times because even though everything is kind of all out of whack. It's very important for parents to maintain some consistency for their kids so that they feel they have control over those things, right? Um, because we need to focus on those things more than the things that we don't have control over. So that's sometimes that's something that comes up with um, families and kids with all the things that have been going on recently. So um, even the smallest things are the most important making sure sleep is good, uh, that we're eating uh, maybe at specific times or keeping those patterns of exercise. All those things, as simple as they may sound, are the ones that really mean the most when it comes to our overall um, well-being. Now going into a subject that I, I, th I think it's very interesting, Gabriel. Um, what happens if you realize that there are some changes in your child and um, maybe your spouse or partner is not really like a fan of mental health or doesn't believe in it or he he or she is not just doesn't want to take the the kid to to some uh, specialist or a professional so how can you address that at home my first reaction is to really just get a sense of uh, what's going on with that right what, why is there um, maybe some resistance or hesitancy for um, seeking services um, like we talked about earlier today If we don't grow up with that normalcy of going and seeking services for our mental health, there's always going to be some stigma that we know is there societally, right, when it comes to mental health. And so that might be a component. It might not be. And so I think for parents who are in disagreement, uh, maybe one is uh, wanting to seek out services for their kids and the other person isn't really quite there yet, trying to have that conversation if it's possible, right, to really just explore that area more to see what that concern might be. Um, if one parent is able to um, like educate even the sense of what maybe happens in therapy and how that might be useful by all means, right? But I think in general terms, I think that that's why all of our agencies exist. So we can educate people as well and provide information on how we might be of service to um, children or adolescents, even adults, as we navigate different things. Um, sometimes it's just a conversation that happens once uh, kids start therapy. Sometimes we, we get started and 
sometimes parents come and they ask us those questions so we can clarify them for them. Um, hopefully uh, incorporating everyone in treatment because that's obviously going to help everyone in the family. But um, it also happens that one parent just takes care of appointments, all of that, while the other parent just kind of maybe takes a step back. So I think it, it's, it's more of a conversation to be had uh, to see maybe what might be going on um, that maybe leads us to being a little bit hesitant to seeking out those services. I remember when I was a kid, um, they took me to therapy and, um, my, my dad was a little hesitant. He didn't know like what was happening, what was going to happen. Right. And really education was key. Education was key. My, I remember my therapist sat down my father and he made all the questions that he had. Right. Um, and it's just very that. And I, I know you guys are, are professionals and you guys are very open to questions. Right. Um, so just open, like, like you said in the beginning, just opening the door that, I mean, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to take your child and whatever your child is feeling, it's okay. And it's normal. Um, now, if for parents that are listening right now and, and they want to give tools to their children, because um I mean, when they go back to school, there's at school alone or when they get back to their normal activities or when they go um, to a party with a friend and um, maybe they're at that place and they are feeling a certain type of way. So what are some coping activities that a child can do on their own when a parent is not around? I think that the activity will depend a lot on like the age of the child. But in, in general, I think that Um, usually when we talk about coping skills that help children regulate their own emotions so they can to some degree get control back whenever they get too upset about a situation, um, whatever that might look like. Um, the one that I use the most with my clients and the one that they have told me that they use uh, in general is really very basic grounding techniques, right? And so um, very easy one that parents can use is really teaching their kids to really attuned to their five senses. And so if they're at a birthday party and maybe someone said something that was inappropriate, made them uh, feel upset, you know what, go to the bathroom. Let's take a, a minute so we can calm down while they're in that bathroom. We're going to start with our five senses. So starting with things that we can see, kind of trying to pinpoint maybe five things that, that are around, things that they can um, really just observe so it grounds them to where they're at. Moving on, trying to focus on maybe a few things that they can hear. What do they listen So that's going to require them to really slow down a little bit, to um, really be quiet, see if they can hear people around them, if they can hear maybe the AC that's going on or maybe some music, whatever that might look like. What can they smell? If there's food around, they're going to have to take a huge whiff. That's going to help them slow their heart rate down, get some more air into their brains. And so um, if it's smelling some food that might be nearby or Maybe they uh, just cleaned and we can smell maybe uh, some Clorox or uh, whatever that might look like. Moving on to what we can touch. If they're sitting down, kind of trying to grab to a towel or whatever might be nearby, focusing on the textures, really helping them really um, calm down, right? Because if we're focusing on that, we're not, we don't have our mind on whatever was worrying us a while ago. And then those are the easiest ones, right? Because uh, we can pinpoint those and of course it, Our kids just ate something. What can you taste? Can you taste maybe a toothpaste because you brushed your teeth or you just drank soda? Um, and so trying to ground ourselves to all those senses is really going to help us to 
take a second, um, calm down at least enough to uh, be able to really think through what's happening. Um, and it really only takes that uh, one, two minutes to do that to help us maybe get a grip on what's going on. Um, and of course, really the most common any kind of breathing skill, taking a few deep breaths, really breathing in slowly, trying to get as much air as we can into our bodies because that's going to help us think and going to slow our heart rate down. So uh, those are very simple, easy techniques that kids remember very easily. And so um, if we know that our kids might have a hard time at a birthday party or even in school, these are perfect to be taught. And those aren't even activities that I, I might even do myself. It's not really just for children. Right? We can all do it even if we're adults. But now if a parent is listening right now and they, they're they like, okay, yeah, my, my child's mental health is important and I want to address um, this topics with my children, um, what are the next steps for those parents? Once a parent is able to really pinpoint that maybe there's something going on with our kids that um, is beyond us, right? As parents, um, I think uh, everyone is everyone does their best to um, handle situations, to address, to manage things as they happen. But sometimes parents realize, you know, what's maybe more than I can handle. And that's why there's people who um, get training, right? Do the schoolwork and get prepared to be able to provide those services. So if a parent realizes that maybe that's what's happening with their kids, of course, the next step is really um, trying to locate any kind of service that might fit with what they need. There's um, so many agencies in our society, in our community that um, uh, are there to provide support and resources and services to families, um, depending on uh, any kind of need that they might have. And so I think that that's why you and I do these things, right? We do uh, participate in podcasts. We try to increase awareness of our communities to be able to um, raise awareness that the services are out there for parents who might need services for themselves or for their kids. So it's uh, much easier to access them. And really realizing that there are resources out there, like you're saying in a conversation that I had with Celeste, we were talking how we had that stigma that only rich people go to therapy, right? And that's not really true. There there are options for all types of families. Um, there are options for everyone. So parents can reach out to you guys and, and, and see what those options are. So now that we're talking about that, Abril, uh, how can parents get this information and where can they access all the information and resources that you guys have? For any um, uh, family or parent who's interested in services for themselves or children, um, they can definitely call our main number. So the main number is going to be the 915-562-1999. That's our main line. Um, we have receptionists who answer your call. They're able to direct you to um, uh, someone else to get you registered. So the process is that they, it's very easy. Um, and so that's going to be the best way to reach us out. We also have our website, which is www.epcgc.org. They can get more information on the services that we provide, um, very general uh, information on our agency if they want to look at further. Um, but definitely give us a call if you feel like you might be needing uh, services or even if you just want to um, give it a try, right? Just see if it might benefit you or your children to 
get some extra support with everything that's been happening with COVID or even the upcoming um, anniversary of August 3rd. Great. Thank you so much, Abril. And now I ask uh, this question to all of my guests. Um, uh, now that we're heading to the end of this wonderful interview, what is the message of hope that you would like to give to the community, especially during these times? I think that as we navigate things that happen in our society in general, and as we continue with um, handling things that happen um, in this year and in our communities, I think that the most important thing that I try to keep in mind is that there's always going to be people out there willing to help and provide support for those in need. Um, and I hope that this podcast, of course, serves as just another one of those sources of support. Great. Thank you so much, Avril. Thank you so much for being our guest today. We're so thankful for this interview. And I really hope that um, for parents um, listening, this was really helpful for you guys. So again, thank you, Avril, for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this content serves you and your loved ones as well. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do not forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at El Paso United FRC to learn more about our commitment to the community's long-term recovery. Please join us on the next episode.